Amen. You can be seated. Well, I want to congratulate those who were baptized this morning. I tell you, uh, you look around the room here, and, and I can't help but think as I was sitting there watching all this, that I know there's many grandparents here, many extended family here of those who were baptized. And uh, I'm sure, I don't know about you, but it, my grandson's going to be baptized in the next uh, gathering. But what's interesting is the fact that you came together when they were born, when they came into this world, and we kind of regathered a moment like this, and what a beautiful thing to see someone who's given their life to Christ, and as the Bible says, they're now born again, and they're coming to publicly display that, and you have come with them. So we thank you for being here with us this morning, those grandparents, extended family of those who are baptized. Uh, we hope you've been blessed as a result of being here. Uh, we're all about, here at Pleasant City Church, our, our main thing is Jesus is our lead story. And everything you've heard here this morning points to that. And it continues this morning as we look at this idea that Jesus is like no other. And this is a series we've, uh, we've come with this morning. And we're going to look at many passages this morning. But if you will, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The goal of this series has been to basically allow the real Jesus to make himself known. And how is he known? Well, the Bible says uh, God reveals himself through his word. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, he was literally the revelation of God. And in four gospels, we have everything that he was about. And today, what we're going to look at is something uh, as, as it results to, to the whole idea of his resolute mission, his mission. Why did he come? We know that his mission, really, when you think about it, is going to carry him to a cross, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, but his mission carries him beyond the cross, and that's the reason we're able to be here this morning to celebrate that. And so this morning, I want us to look at his resolute mission and also his transcendent love. So look at the introduction there, if you have an outline, a handout there in front of you. Jesus' resolute mission that led him to the cross was not only a matter of his obedience to his father... It was his father's plan that he come here, basically. It was not only that, but also a motivation of his love for those who would follow him one day. And I, I believe that many of you who are sitting here today, you possibly have a testimony of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, his mission led to his transcendent love that is extended to you. And if you don't know him this morning... You can come to know him based on the authority of God's word. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning is his resolute mission. And the first thing we see here is it was from the beginning in his childhood. From his childhood. You, 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 if you remember the story in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is, is uh, with, there with his family. They're celebrating the Passover. He's 12 years of age. And all of a sudden, after the festivities and everything had settled down, we understand that Jerusalem probably had around 250,000 people there for that big celebration, that all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph begin their journey back home, and they're traveling with their family, and about a day's journey out, they discover that Jesus, the 12-year-old, is not with them. Now, how do you leave your kid and go a day's journey and not know he's with you? Well, the fact is that families would travel in groups. So cousins and nieces and nephews and all the group, they would all go together. And so he, he possibly could have been with another family member, and that was probably thought at that time. But the point is 
They lost Jesus. Now, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? At first, they probably tried to hide it from God that they lost Jesus, you know? You know? And all of a sudden, they, they began to get to the point where they're probably a little more desperate because we know they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And it took two more days to find him. And can you imagine them getting on their hands and knees, Jesus, oh God, we, we've lost your son, Jesus. If you could please direct us to where he is. And then the scriptures tells us where he is. Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Now it was after three days that they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions of them. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. They, they were kind of sitting there and they're like, they were panicked. But they found him. And Jesus said to them, Why did you seek me? He's basically saying, Didn't you know where I'd be? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At age 12, Jesus knew the mission. He knew what would be expected of him. And so if you were to say, okay, where does it all begin? Where does it all? Well, it begins at this miraculous birth. We discovered that several weeks ago. But it continued not only through his birth, it came through his words. We looked at that last week. He, he always knew this was going to be something. But today, as we continue to look at this, we see that this whole thing started way back when. And he began to develop and see and journey, make his journey, even from the age 12 to the cross. Next, we see from the beginning of his public ministry, this, this mission continued in Luke chapter 3. If you'll flip over, you'll see in verse 21, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven which said, You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Now, if you want, to, if you want a, a great affirmation about what your mission is all about, do you think this would be at the top? When all of a sudden the representation of the Holy Spirit is now upon you, not only that, the heavens open up and the God the Father speaks what he spoke there. You're my son. I'm well pleased. It's all about the mission. Verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about age 30, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Now, as was supposed, that, that was the whole idea. He wasn't the physical father of Joseph. We know that. It was, it, was, it was God himself. But what we find here is the fact that he began his ministry. And so what do we have? We've got his birth. We've got age 12. He knows fully aware of what he was all about and what was coming. All the way to age 30, where we pick up the beginnings of his public ministry. You skip down to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. We saw these verses last week, or this passage last week. It says, basically, as he begins his ministry, he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he was brought up. And it was his custom that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And by the way, this is Jesus's mission. He's about to tell him his mission. Guess where it comes from? Isaiah chapter 49, written 600 and some years before. And he's getting ready to say, here it is. This is what I'm all about. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He's given this mission to me. He's given me this purpose to preach the gospel to the poor, not just those economically poor. They were those who were spirit poor. He has brought me here to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim to the captives and recoveries of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes who were there in the synagogue were fixed on him. That means they were perplexed. That means they were sizing him up basically. And then he began to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying those words written 600 years ago, those words that are given to the Messiah who would one day come, guess what? It's all fulfilled in me being here with you today. As we said last week, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? But that's what it was all about. Jesus always knew what his mission was all about. And then in John chapter 1, verse 29, here's his affirmation. It says, the next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to think about that. John is affirming his ministry. He's also saying, this is his mission. Mark chapter 1, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And right out of the gate, in Mark chapter 1, we see again, once again, that he's reiterating what his mission would be when it comes to what God had called him to. Next, we see not only at the beginning of his ministry, but throughout his public ministry. And throughout his public ministry, I don't know about you, but as I made my way into studying for this morning, I figured out Jesus had a lot of distractions that could have kept him from his mission. Really, I mean, it really adds up when you start seeing all the possible distractions. How many of you have, uh, have uh, come to a point in your life maybe where you have goals for your life? You would say, you know, success for me would look like this, and you begin to, to move towards that moment. How many of you notice there's a lot of distractions in your life when you are determined to do something? How many of you are still on that diet from January 1st? None of you. Great day. How many of you have been working out every day of the week? I mean, you, I mean, you, you make all these commitments. You say all these things. Are just kind of, one distraction comes into your life. Now, you know what did it for me a couple of weeks ago? Well, I was determined that I was going to make better discipline of my time. I was going to go to bed earlier. But you know what messed it up? My team got into a lot of games late at night. I couldn't get up the next morning and do. So there's all these distractions. There's always something out there to pull us from what we deem as essential, that deem as important in our lives. Jesus never let a distraction take him off of his mission. Boy, that right there is something to be admired. But there's so many things that could have distracted him. The first thing we see are the temptations of Satan as it relates to Jesus's power. Look at Luke chapter four once again. Look at verse one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward when they had ended, guess what? He was hungry. Anybody gone 40 days without any food? You think you might be a little hungry? 
I don't know about you, but I, I live with a bunch of people uh, who, when they get hungry, they're hangry. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You better feed them people around me or they'll turn on you. I'm serious. But, but the point I'm trying to say here is the fact that Jesus, who is feeling the weight of, of a physical need that needed to be met, the enemy's right there. How many of you know the enemy is normally there at our weakest moments? He's there at the same point with Jesus. And verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know what I find all through the Gospels? Jesus never used his power for his own well-being. I want you to think about that. I want you to read through it and find it, see if you can find one for yourself. You, you won't. It was always to meet a need of someone or always to glorify God. When he was using the authority that was bestowed upon him, when he used the power, it was always for others. Next, we see a possible distraction, not only uh, to his mission, his power, but also his popularity. In Luke chapter 4, we find once again, he's engaged in a, there's a conversation between him and the enemy. Look at verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. He said, and the popularity that comes with it. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, Satan misspeaking there. Oh, yeah, he's misspeaking there. But he's willing to speed up the kingdom of God, give Jesus it out where you don't have to live this mission out. You don't have to do it God's way. I'm going to give it to you right now. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. But there was a term set there, worship me. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. And, and y'all, that wasn't, that wasn't a pat on the back, get behind me, Satan. That was get behind me, Satan. And then he says this, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. You see, there were so many outs that Jesus could have taken when it came to the mission, going to the cross, to, to be the redeemer of the world and forgive the forgiveness of our sin. There were so many ways, there were so many outs, but he didn't take the shortcut. He was resolute in his mission. In Luke chapter 9, if you'll turn over there, there's some more words about all this. You see, when it came to Jesus' popularity, Jesus was becoming popular with the people. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've read the Bible. 5,000 men showed up, and they believed the families came with them. They believe it. the feeding of the 5,000, some of you may not know this, some of you may, that it just counted the men, maybe just the households, that there could have been as many as 20 to 25,000 people there that day. The popularity was growing. Was Jesus revved up by the popularity? Not necessarily. And, and here's what, why we know that. Because he said things that were very difficult. Someone who's popular that wants to remain popular doesn't say things that Jesus said. I want to show you one of them right here. There's many things he said. But in Luke chapter 9, look at verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, if you're truly going to follow me, let him deny himself. Do we hear a lot of that in our culture today? No, we don't hear that, do we? It probably didn't hear much in the first century either. He basically said, let him put himself on the back burner and take up his cross daily. Take up some of the things of this world, the, the harassments of this world, and, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, you're just going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For why shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Jesus didn't say things to bring, keep bringing the popularity. He said many things that should have just turned people away. And there were times in which he did that. And people just quit following him. Because of some of the words, some of the phrases, some of the things he would say, what it would cost them. Another possible distraction, the traditions of the religious. In Luke chapter 6, we have this whole, look at verse 1. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. What, what was happening here is, is Jesus is there. It's on the Sabbath. You don't work on the Sabbath. There were certain things you did do on the Sabbath and you didn't do on the Sabbath. And so basically... Those who are trying to bring entrapment to him, basically saying that he's breaking the laws of God, they started watching everything he did. And his disciples made their way through a grain field, and they basically broke off some and ate it as they went through the field. And so those who were trying to entrap Jesus basically said, look, look, look what they did. They're breaking the law. They're breaking the law. You know, he wasn't breaking the law. He was breaking their law. You know why? Because they added to the law. They added to the words of God. That wasn't something against the law. They basically accused them of working by walking through a field and breaking off some grain and feeding themselves. <laughs> That's work. Didn't end there. Jesus at that moment, at that same time, chose to heal someone on the Sabbath. And he said, there he is. He, he's doing something again. He's breaking the Sabbath. But all of it were their religious traditions. It was just their traditions that he was breaking. He wasn't breaking the law of God. But there are so many things out there, and, and people were just looking to entrap him. Another possible distraction were the expectations of others. The expectations of others. How many of you learned a long time ago you'll never meet the expectations of everyone? You ever, have, you, have you learned that? If you're still running yourself crazy trying to do it, you might as well stop. You're not going to meet everybody's expectations. Thank goodness Jesus did not look to meet the expectations of those around him. He looked to meet the expectation of God the Father. And that allowed him to overlook all the distractions that were going to keep him from his mission. It's really amazing when you think about it. But for his, the expectations of others started with his neighbors. In Luke chapter 4, verse 24, basically you've got this whole thing where Jesus is basically announced he's basically the Messiah. Is basically what he's told him. And then he said in verse 24 of Luke 4, he said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Then verse 28, so all the synagogue, when they heard this, they were filled with wrath, rose up, thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built. They, they basically carried him to, the, to a cliff, and they were determined to throw him off the cliff. But of course, God worked a miracle. Jesus walked through the crowd. They couldn't touch him. But here's the point. He wasn't there to meet their expectations of who they wanted him to be. He was there to be the son of God and fulfill his mission. You see, we got a lot of people in this world today trying to create Jesus in their own image. We really do. And they're out there, and here's what they want Jesus to do. They want Jesus, even the Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, they want, it, they want him to fulfill their expectations. And he won't. He is who he is, and he can't be no other, like no other. And so we see that so clearly. And, and next, expectations of his disciples. His disciples had expectations. 
We read it over and over again. They kept saying, if you remember in the Gospels, you'll hear this phrase a lot. Uh, is, is this when the kingdom's going to be fulfilled, Jesus? Is this going to be when the kingdom's fulfilled? Here's why, why we know something's going on here. The disciples, we know that one of them was a zealot because the Bible calls him that. The Bible says Simon the zealot. A zealot was someone who basically believed militarily someone was going to come on the scene to raise the people up to overtake the Roman Empire, basically, or, or, or break free the people of, of Israel out from under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Many people believe the Messiah would be the one who did that. Jesus identifying himself as the Messiah, they thought militarily he was here to raise up an army who was going to do that. Matter of fact, some scholars believe four of his 12 disciples were considered zealots. They were, ready, they were ready to take over, basically, militarily. And Jesus was basically saying, that, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to meet your expectations. I'm here to meet God's expectations. Another possible distraction, his own family, his family. How many of you have ever been at odds with your family? All because you know God put something on your heart to do this or to do that. It's hard sometimes when your family turns their back on you, when you're doing something you believe God's called you to do. And what you see here is in Luke chapter 8, if you'll look quickly at Luke chapter 8, verse 19, the Bible says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But here's what Jesus said to them. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, if you were his mother, if you were Mary and the brothers, which we know two of them were Jude and James, and they were there and they wanted to see Jesus. We don't know why they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus turns around and said, no, these here, this is my mother, this is my brothers. You know what Jesus was doing? He was saying there was something bigger than his life than his family. And it was to do and meet the expectations of God himself. That took priority. That's what the mission was all about. So basically, he was saying his family is bigger than a blood bond. It was a spiritual bond that he, was, he would have with people. Next, not only do we see the possible distractions to his mission, but also the precise determination for his mission. And it's the whole idea of concerning getting to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, look here carefully, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He basically knew it was time. The cross was fast approaching. And he began to move in that direction. And the only way he could get there was to get to Jerusalem. So he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But the Samaritans, what it says in verse 53, didn't receive him. Why? Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. The only thing he was willing to do at that moment was to look towards the cross, to look to his resolute mission, to move in that direction. They probably had expectations of him too. They probably wanted him to do some miracles. They may have even brought people for the healings and different things. But he, he kept his face towards what God had called him to do. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> God, you want us to do this just as Elijah did? And, of course, Jesus said no. But his face 
was moving toward Jerusalem. How about this? His precise determination for his mission concerning his death and resurrection. Luke chapter 18. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He's basically saying, my mission is about to be accomplished. Verse 32, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, that would be Pilate and the Roman, and the Roman guard, and be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he'll rise again. But they understand none of these, they understood none of these things. This saying was hid from them that they did not know the things which he was speaking. They couldn't comprehend where he was coming from. And then we see all the way his mission to the end of his public ministry. How about this before his death in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine? We see this whole idea of the Garden of Gethsemane play out in front of us. Jesus goes into the garden. He tells Peter, James, and John, you wait here, pray, because there's going to be some temptations coming your way. You need to be ready for it. I'm going to go a little further. And he goes a little further in the garden. And you remember the story. He's sitting there and he's... The weight of the world is literally falling upon him. I believe the weight of sin, the wrath that he, know, that he knows that the next day that he would incur on the cross by his heavenly father is, is, is awaiting him. The fact his heavenly father will turn away from him because of the sin that will be placed on him. Whose sin is that? It's our sin. Will be placed on him. He knew the weight of what was coming up. And he basically went before God the father. He's basically saying, is there any other way? But what was his conclusion? Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. The, the cup would have been a reference to judgment or the thing he's been asked to be a part of. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The weight of it, the next day, the culmination of the mission is going to come together there at the cross. It's all right there. We see it so clearly. Next how about there at the cross? I want you to think about what Jesus said. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said many things. And everything had a purpose. But nothing had a greater purpose than when he said this. While on the cross, Jesus said this. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Here's what's interesting about Jesus. And this is the reason he's like no other. He was the one that said, yeah, one day I will be born among men. He's the only person who said, yeah, I'll be born. He's also the only person who said, yes, what, guess what? I will determine that whole idea. No one's going to take my life. I'm going to give my life. Jesus, like no other. But when he said it is finished, he was basically saying the mission has been done and has been accomplished. What was the mission? What was the mission? To save us from our sin. To take on the wrath of God. On, he did that on our behalf. All of that was there. Next, after his resurrection, Jesus' mission all of a sudden is transferred to his disciples. In Luke 24, what we find here, he's basically talking about the remissions of sins. In verse 47, he's talking about his whole mission, what it was all about. And then he's passing it to the disciples. He's saying, now you go. Now you go. It didn't end with the disciples. Guess what? Later, it, that mission is going to be handed to us. Now we go. We go. We have that mission to make him known. But what was it really all about? What motivated Jesus' 
resolute mission. First of all, as we saw, is his transcendent love. Look on your outline. He loved us first. Did you know that? Before you were capable of loving, he loved us first. How do we know that? 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first, what? Loved us. Next, he loved us when we were unlovable or unlovely. Look at what it says in Romans 5, 6, and 7, here on, 6 and 8 on the screen. For when we were still without strength, when there was nothing we could do about our condition, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was his resolute mission. Why? Because his, of his transcendent love. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, nothing we could do about it, Christ died for us. Why? Why was all that possible? Because of the mission. Next, he forgave us. Ephesians 4 says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ. What he did on his mission forgave you. How about this? He made us right before God. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that literally means being made right before God. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he desires to spend eternity with us. Did you hear the song we sang earlier? He, he wants to live with us for eternity. How do we know it? John 3, 16. Let's all say it. It's right here on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him or in him should, have, should not perish but have what? Amen. Amen. So here's the application. Jesus' transcendent love for us demands a response. What's your response? Are you going to ignore him? Or are you going to respond and follow him? It also demands reflection to remember him and identify with him. So my question is this. What is your response to pursuing his love? I want to ask you right now if you'll just kind of put everything up and if you'd bow with me in prayer. Father, we just come to you right now. And Father, what a tremendous morning we've already had. Father, we've seen those who've given their life to you come publicly this morning to profess that love that they have for you. But Father, that love didn't begin with them. It, the Bible says, as your word says, it began with you. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that everything that's been determined about our salvation, Lord, you put it fully in motion. And the only way it was possible is because of Jesus' mission and why he came to die for us on an old, ugly cross that became a symbol of love and beauty because of what he did in his mission to save us. Father, we just thank you for that. And as we take these moments here in just a moment to, to reflect on that, Father, help us to evaluate and look into our lives to see if there's anything unworthy, Father, that we can even deal with that even now. In Jesus' name, amen. One way we can respond to Jesus' pursuing love is through communion. And so at this time, if you did not receive a communion cup when you came in, would you raise your hand? These men are going to kind of move through the room here. If you did not receive one, you want one, please raise your hand. I'll make sure you get one, okay? Now, while they're doing this, let me just say this about communion. Communion is to be taken by those who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
You don't necessarily have to be a member of this church to take communion this morning. It's for those who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But it goes further than that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not just those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's also those who are in right standing with Him right now. And so as they pass these out, if you keep your hand up until they get to you. For those of you who already have one, just bow your heads right now. And I just want you to evaluate where you are with Him right now. There may be some of you, this may be a great teaching moment for you with your family. Take that time. If you have a child or whatever, you want to explain a little bit more about that, feel free to do that this time. Let's just take these moments and have those moments with him. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down with the 12 apostles. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is just the night before the cross. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, saying to them, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may eat the wafer. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just stand to your feet at this time. Father, we come to you now, and we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you, your son was resolute in the mission. Father, we thank you that he was willing to take on the calling to, to be the savior of the world for those who would follow him. And Father, I just thank you for what this gathering has meant to us this morning, Lord. I thank you for those who have come publicly demonstrating the fact that they've placed their faith in you. And Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to reflect upon your cross, Father. And Lord, we just thank you for that that mission of love that you went on to, to save us from our sins. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us? <laughs> 